Let me introduce you to this episode's sponsor. It's 97th Floor, an award-winning Moz-recommended digital marketing agency located in Lehigh, Utah, and Orange County, California. They're known for driving bottom-line value results for clients like Pluralsight, Dell, and Salesforce. Visit 97thfloor.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. This is Jacob Perry. I'm joined by Brandon Hassler. What's up, my man? Stole my line once again, but I am doing quite well. Have you ever thought about maybe coming up with a new line? Yeah, I think about it. When? I think about it right after you ask me, and then I forget by the end of the show. Okay. You want to take a couple minutes and brainstorm something? No, no. Let's just move on. (laughs) All right. Let's introduce everybody to uh, the conversation today. We're going to do a follow-up on Google I.O. Turns out there's a lot of controversy around Google this week, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Also, Instagram is not just for pictures anymore. Sure. Actually, it is for pictures. But there's a new way to use Instagram that we'll also talk about. The other thing in news recently is GDPR. You've probably been getting a lot of emails recently from companies that you follow who have updated their terms of use. And uh, all those emails have been going out over the last few weeks. We'll talk about that. But before then, let's play the theme song. I got to cut that out. I bet that annoys you every time. No, I leave it in. Oh, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Brandon, there's a follow-up to the Google I.O. announcement last week. A couple of uh, news articles. I say a couple. It's actually kind of been on fire how many people are up in arms about the Google Assistant that will make your appointments for you. Hell yeah! Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's quite the controversy out there. So obviously we talked, I can't remember exactly what we talked about last show, but we may or may not have brought up the fact that, or, or the possibility of, or maybe the, the, the issue, I don't know what, how to phrase it, but of uh, Google's AI identifying itself as a robot, like Google having that ethical or that moral obligation. Uh, well, now it may also be a legal obligation. Well, hang on, before we get there. There are some people who may not have listened to the last episode. Fair enough. Which is slightly messed up. But yeah. if you're just joining the conversation, Google I.O. happened last week, right? Yeah. Two, two, uh, weeks, two weeks ago, ago, if you're listening. So, so it's about two weeks. Yeah, two weeks ago, Google I.O. happened. They announced a new feature to Google Assistant that now allows users to tell their phone or computer or whatever, their Google Assistant, to contact companies by phone and either make appointments for them if it's like a hair salon or make dinner reservations if it's a restaurant. And we shared, uh, we shared a clip last week uh, of that in action. But basically, it's, it's Google Assistant making a phone call and acting like a human being uh, and making an appointment, right? So an example would be that we shared last week. Google Assistant calls an Asian restaurant and says, hey, I've got a party of four. I'd like to make a reservation for Wednesday. How does that, like, what is that? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So, so it gives 
the restaurant owner in this case the impression that they're talking to a real human being and the controversy around that is the de- the deception right it's google deceiving restaurant owners and hair salon owners or receptionists into thinking that they're talking to a real human being when they're actually not so before we get into that i want to ask you brandon do you think do you think that google should have to identify themselves as a bot um, do you think that, so take out the legal ramifications do you think they have a moral responsibility that the bot identify itself as such uh no because it's also never pretending to be a human it sounds like a human but it's never saying that like with the demos that we've seen which i know are few so obviously yeah they're not, my say, client. they're not yeah okay they say my client but they're not saying like yeah i'm a human which would be weird yeah, it's not like hey this is janelle and I'm calling to set an appointment, then that's being a little deceitful, even though it is just getting the job done. Well, didn't 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 uh, the Google Assistant in the example we shared where he talked to the restaurant, he didn't say it was for a client. He was acting as though the appointment or the reservation were for himself. I don't know. I think he may have said... Like he's setting it up on, the, on behalf of somebody else? I mean, he never really said one way or the other. I guess it may be implied. Like, so, oh, so what's that, the name yeah, of that's, the party? That's, that, that, put that's the whole Chris. thing, right? Is, is, I, I it's think implied. if the person asks, then I think Google should have a way for it to say, like if someone says, I'm sorry, is this a, a robot or whatnot? Then, yeah, you have it trigger where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm actually a Google assistant um, set up by so-and-so, and they are having me do this task for them. I don't know. But so you don't think Google should have to identify itself as a bot? My knee-jerk reaction is no. So I, I, but maybe I, I haven't thought about it deeply enough. That may be true. I, I'm in the same boat, right? I think people are upset because it's deceiving people, like it's not a real person. But the reality is that the Google Assistant is actually representing a real person. It's a real yeah. person who makes the request, hey, Google set a hair appointment up for me at four o'clock at Betsy's hair salon. Like there is an actual person behind the request. So it's not, it's not deceiving the, the, and who cares? Cause the hair salon, they just got a new client. They're making money. Why does it matter if it was a, a a bot that contacted them and made the appointment? Is it because the, the owner of the company or the receptionist will feel dumb feeling like they'll never know. Yeah, it's true. So so there was an article written by The Verge where they talk about uh, the title is Google now says controversial AI voice calling system will identify itself to humans. So they're coming out and saying, hey, you don't have to worry about that. In the demo, it didn't do it, but that's that's a demo out in the wild. Our Google assistant will identify itself to the humans that it's talking to. But I thought it was I thought what was what was interesting was they shared a tweet and I'm not even going to. I guess I will attempt to <laughs> read the name of the person who who sent this t- tweet. So it's Zainep Tufexi. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw you're, that. Yeah, you're the one who sent this to me. She tweeted this. Google Assistant making calls pretending to be human, not only without disclosing that it's a bot, but adding um and ah to deceive the human on the other end with the room cheering uh, was horrifying. Silicon Valley is ethically lost, rudderless, and has not learned a thing. So that's like the opposite of what you and I think. Sure. They're saying, 
this is not this is unethical and we talk a lot about ethics on the show do you think do you think it's unethical for google to quote pretend to be human by not only excuse me not only by uh, without disclosing that it's a bot but also adding disfluencies like um and ah to trick the person on the other end to to think that they're talking to a human i don't know i mean i see certain points but i guess at the end of the day i don't have a super strong opinion one way or the other so as a business owner someone calls you and says hey I want to join Market Campus. Can you give me some more information on what that is? And you're like, oh, great. Yeah, let me give you all this information. And you're spending your time going back and forth with what you don't know at the time was a robot. What if you found out afterwards that the whole conversation was just likely being recorded and it wasn't even with a real person? Um, I wouldn't care, assuming the call went well. The only time I would care and that would be good for me to know or be nice for me to know that it's, I'm speaking with a robot is if the conversation just is going south. Uh, we're, we're having a hard time understanding each other, but, uh, yeah, that's the only time. Cause that's where it is annoying when you're think you're speaking with a human and obviously you're dealing with someone else's emotions and yeah. feelings. Yeah. And so you're trying to be considerate. Like, I'm sorry, I, I don't quite understand. Uh, let me try to, to help you here. You keep saying this, that's when it would be nice. And maybe, I mean, obviously we know there's information we haven't talked about in the show yet that I guess puts all this to, to rest, but. Um, it would be nice not knowing this information right now if Google at least had a way where it, if it detects that the conversation's not going as planned, if then it discloses, okay, by the way, I am in a, a robot assistant calling on behalf of this client. Uh, it seems like we're under, having a hard time understanding. I will notify him to have uh, give you a call personally. Okay. And it's like, okay, thank you. Now I just didn't waste five minutes trying to like, spare someone's feelings and making sure they don't get offended and then go leave a bad review that in that case, it would be nice. What about, uh, VMRs voicemail recordings? This is when someone calls in to a company and the company has a pre-recorded voice. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? If, if you're calling to talk to a representative press one, right. Mm -hmm. But now they're getting pretty sophisticated. What, what if Google assistant, gets integrated into uh, VMR systems to where a customer can call a business and talk to what they think is a human, but turns out to be something like a Google assistant. Does that change? Well, that's already happening with like chat bots and um, chat, like chat software. Totally. It's getting super intelligent. So chat bots, where, yeah, on websites. Hey, I'm wondering what time you guys close tonight. Our hours are this. Yeah. Thanks. How's the weather out there in Provo? Uh, stuff like that it's already happening and do you, do you and, think and i have you know done it with calls where it's like you can start saying like what's the problem you're having right now i need help with my billing okay sending you to someone in the billing department yeah right like i right now i don't think it's as big of a deal because everyone knows that they're talking to a recording yeah. but i think technology is being developed to where you could set up a google assistant-esque platform or technology that sounds like a human that answers phone calls and can basically route them in the right way, but acting as if they're a human. Do you think that from a moral standpoint that changes the conversation at all? No. And I think people get better be prepared for that because that's going to happen. And I think that's eventually going to bleed its way into sales departments to where when you're calling a company, you're being sold by an AI voice. 
They're the ones answering all your questions and they can do it in a very efficient manner, especially if this company has more access to your data and it can quickly compute these decisions and know exactly what your past concerns are. It knows that yesterday at 3.05 p.m. you put a tweet out complaining about how your house isn't air-conditioned enough and yet you're calling this company about air filters and it's like, so for example, if you have a home, I noticed on Twitter you said this, our product actually helps with that. Creepy, but it could be one effective sales guy and it's just, you don't even have to hire anyone. It just starts, and it uses machine learning to get more and more intelligent about your product, so you're saying concerns. You're saying sales bros should start looking for a new job. A lot of people should be looking for new jobs. Well, you know a what? lot of positions in marketing. Not the door-to-door guys, though. Well, door-to-door, how effective is that really? I don't know. Effective enough for people to keep doing it. Sure. Okay, so that's that's one piece of controversy, controversy right, is is the fact that People are up in arms that Google is not is misrepresenting itself. Google has come out to try and and kind of squash those claims by saying no, it was a demo. We will uh, the bot will identify itself to humans. I liked that part of the article. The other piece is uh, whether or not the actual demo was real. What side of the what side of the line are you on there? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seemed too good to be true. Um, but, uh, I mean, they did say, where is that article? Um, let me pull it up here. Da, da, da. There were some interesting lines. This one's from uh, AndroidAuthority.com. Were those Google Duplex AI calls edited or faked? Google won't say. So I guess this company called, it's a media outlet, uh, Axios. Axios? I don't know. Axios. Axios. They apparently did like a piece highlighting a lot of the different issues with the calls that were shown at the conference, showing a lot of inconsistencies with tests that they have done. Uh, for example, employees typically, like hair salons, restaurants, uh, generally identify the workplace. And I think they did a number of calls around the area and uh, almost everyone. They called over two dozen hair salons and restaurants. Two dozen. And did all of them respond back with the company? Every single one of them. Every single one. So basically, they're asking, like, hey, what are the companies? What was the hair salon? What was the restaurant that you called? Uh, Google won't say. Um, and then had, then they asked specifically, like, did you just cut out, like, the fact that Google identified itself? Or no, you, did you cut out the name of the hair salon, the name of the restaurant, just for privacy reasons? Google's not saying anything. So Google's being, being very uh, quiet about this. And maybe they're doing that just because they're still... They're doing it because it's a stupid question. Who cares? Even it, what they're saying is this is a demo, okay? So if it's, if it's first of all, I believe that it was real. The fact that, that they cut or edited parts out just tells me that they're on a stage presenting a new product and don't want to take more time than they have to. There probably is an element of privacy. There's probably an element to them not necessarily wanting, wanting to promote these businesses or act as kind of an endorsement to these businesses by naming them whether on the platform or on the stage when they're presenting it mm-hmm. or in a retroactively released press release, right? Yeah. So so what if they edit it? It would surprise me if they didn't edit it. But, uh, but the, like, the fact that this company, uh, Axios, would go and call more than two dozen hair salons and restaurants just to see if th- how they would open uh, the phone call is so ridiculous to me. 
Like this is the dumbest thing. It's like there's there's uh, like if you want to say it was it was fake in that they had a real person act like the Google Assistant when making the phone call. Fine, but even that isn't that big of a deal because what they're doing is saying this is something we're developing. It's not released in the wild yet, and at some point this is what's going to be available. Sure, but it's it's because on stage he says what you're about to hear is a real phone call to a real hair salon. I think it was real. Which I think it was real. I, I would have I would bet that that hair salon got a heads up ahead of time saying, hey, we're Google. We are testing out the software. We're going to have it call you and set up a hair appointment. Uh, does that work for you? Okay, yeah, sure. I, I guarantee you there's some staging going on. So it was still a real call. It demonstrated how it would work in a conversation. Um, Do you think they did the same thing with the restaurant? Because obviously they would need to get permission whether they did it before or after. They can't just use the recorded phone call, especially in California, which is a state that requires that all recorded phone calls are disclosed. Unless or... they didn't call a restaurant and hair salon in California. But I think if you, I forget how that law applies. So, Were you looking thing. into that? Uh, yeah, but I never did. So here's the thing is, is I think there are elements of recording a phone call. Like the fact that they didn't identify the person they were talking to or the business they were talking to, I think prevents any lawsuit. Like, I think, I think it's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, if there are lawyers listening right now and you want to chime in, feel free. But recording a conversation, I, I like, whether it was staged or not, I, like, I don't necessarily have an opinion about that. I, I think that it, my opinion, listening to it, is that they would have no reason to fake it. Like, if they're close enough to have a demo, if they're close enough, if, if they're not close enough to have a real demo then they're not going to do it. Right? Yeah. So uh, Bloomberg actually just came out with a story two hours ago that kind of puts all this to rest. All right, cool. Let's hear it. Um, Title is Google's duplex AI robot will warn that calls are being recorded. And uh, I'm looking at a summary of the article here on The Verge. And I think this perfectly sums it up google assistant will identify itself at the beginning of conversations when it starts making phone calls on behalf of real users um later this year using google's human sounding duplex ai technology it will also alert those on the other end of the conversation in certain jurisdictions that calls are being recorded according to bloomberg which reported the details that were shared in a company meeting today thursday this recording so we actually did talk about this a little bit last week where we were talking about the potential of recording these conversations, right? Because mm-hmm. as a user, if you're asking your Google assistant to do something, you will likely want access to the recording so you can see how well they did. Yep. Do you think that that, I feel like it would be kind of fun to go back and re-listen to this conversation that you started, but weren't a part of. I think that would be quite interesting. I wonder if at some point, I'm sure this will be possible, but to program your Google Assistant to do prank calls for you? <laughs> Maybe. Call this hair salon and ask if their fridge is running. And then when they say yes, laugh at them and hang up. Yes. It's like, ha ha, um, mm-hmm. And it hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Okay. So that's Google I.O. Did you have any other follow-up items on that? No, sir. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Instagram as a news medium. 
Instagram as a media medium. Let me ask you this. What social network do you use more than any other social network? Instagram. Instagram. By like, by a long shot? Yes. And what is your primary usage of Instagram? Is it keeping up with family or are you following a lot of uh, like content production news uh, nope. highlight videos 98% is family and friends i don't i don't uh and even the companies that i follow are friends companies like i follow provo buzz because my mm. friend runs provo buzz good company i i follow market campus because my friend owns market campus also I, a good i follow one. uh vegas actually i don't know if i follow vegas hut <laughs> i'm not sure i follow vegas hut you follow dev mountain i don't follow oh, dev you're mountain out. a lot of content there well my friend doesn't own dev mountain well Maybe one day your friend will work his way up. <laughs> yeah. You can buy it from uh, Capella. Yeah. Um, yeah. Me, uh, Instagram has been fascinating. And, I, and, and I'm, I've been fascinated by my own usage where I have found that I follow a number of media companies and I engage with their content on a daily basis. I give me, watch give, me an, a, give me examples. Bleacher Report. You've heard of them, right? I know Bleacher Report, so that's sports news. Sports, yep. So you say you engage with them, like engage by, especially, you comment on their stuff? I comment, so like especially during the NBA playoffs. What do you say? I'll just like, you know, you, you, get, you get in conversations with other people, your typical sports trash talking, stuff like that. Like you do that? Uh-huh. Dude, you don't even talk that much in real life. I don't, but when it comes to sports trash talk on Instagram, it's just like, it's almost like you're this like there's community. nothing more satisfying. Yeah, it's better than Reddit. It's better than uh, Facebook. But um, but yeah, I, I I noticed like holy crap! Like I am engaging with the Bleacher Report brand not only once a day but multiple times throughout the day. I specifically like look up their profile to see new cool highlight videos, like what's going on in the league. When was yeah. the last time you made a comment on Bleacher Report? Uh, well, I haven't commented since the Jazz. I was like super active during when the Jazz were the in jazz the playoffs. playoffs. When they got knocked off, now I'm just kind of sit back, take a little break. I don't do much trash talking with my team out of the out of the league yeah, or you, out of the playoffs. That's smart. That's I don't have good. as much to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, it was interesting how yeah I, I'm interacting with this brand multiple times a day. Yet I haven't been to their website in at least a year, um, and I wonder how true that is for so many different media companies. And then I noticed there's another account called House of Highlights. And when I when you read their accounts, like this account's ran by so-and-so and so-and-so, now part of the Bleacher Report network. And uh, when I read into them, they got bought in 2015, I believe. Uh, this guy named Omar Raja, and I think there was someone else that was involved. But uh, Bleacher Report acquired this account because it, it has so much attention. And now the account gets over, I think, 400 million views a month and crazy engagement. And so then I just started thinking about just like the news in general and so much of the news, whether it's, that's funny, right as I said that, Fox 13, car drives right by. Um, the news, whether it's, yeah, you know, your typical local night, news, local news, you got the, the, the papers, even national type stuff that still centers around their main product being the website and they try to get the ads around that. And that's their primary income. And you keep seeing all of these publications having to lay off staffs, even right here in Utah last week, I think the Salt Lake Tribune just laid off one third of its staff. Why do you, why do you think that is 
Just kidding. It's obvious. Keep going. It's well. Here's the reason. It's not it's because they're not using Instagram. They're not adapting to the new medium. They think they're adapting because they're leaving newspapers and going to blog style. Not just that, but they also think they're adapting because they're uh, they're on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, we have an Instagram account. We're doing this. Uh, why are you not monetizing your Instagram? Like even KSL, which I would argue is probably the biggest, most interacted prominent. with prominent like media company in Utah. In Utah. You go to, I mean, yeah, there a lot of people have the KSL app, and, and that's going strong. But you look at their Instagram and, and any of their social accounts, and it's kind of weak, especially Instagram. Facebook's decent, but uh, they don't really do much. Like it's just like Happy Mother's Day, and then you know another day will happen. It's like first day of summer. What are you doing? They don't even do that. It's just like first day of summer. Here's some kids playing, and. When I think about the new way that that young people are consuming media, and I'm talking even younger than me, these people do not want to go and click. Like we're headline readers, right? We read headlines, we form an opinion, and it'd be nice if we could at least just have the bullet points or or, or get to right to the point. If a house burnt down, I want to know who did it, did they get caught, what's the damage, anything like that <clears throat> that can all be summarized within a sentence or two. So. What I'm doing with Provo Buzz, as you know, I've, I think I started Provo Buzz in like 2012. Started out as just like an actual online publication. I was trying to write blog posts and stuff like that, and it was super time consuming. Went away for a while, and I thought, man, with all this media, can, like I, I just I look at all these accounts, these national accounts that are getting snatched up by bigger media companies because they're recognizing that that's where the attention is for these younger audiences. And so what I'm doing, a little project, and we can follow up on this in a month or so and kind of see how it's going. So I figured I'd bring it up on the show because it's kind of an experiment. Provo Buzz, I'm relaunching, and it's going to be exclusively Instagram media. So it's going to be a mix of breaking news, uh, funny pictures that people are posting that have to do with the area. And it's not just Provo, but all of Utah County. New sports leagues that may be starting up. New sports leagues, you know, the super crazy niches like cornhole, stuff like that. So it just highlights, and the product is attention. That's what you're selling. And then eventually you can start monetizing a ton of different ways by by uh, local businesses working with you to create valuable, informative content that both entertain and inform the reader, but also um, can um, bring them attention and, and sales and whatnot. And eventually get, get bought out by the Daily Herald. Or anyone, sure. Daily Herald, why not? Bleacher Report, yeah, whichever. But I, I just feel like, why are why are they not doing that? And I think the reason they're doing it is because the only thing they know, they're scared that if we start recapping our stories on Instagram, people are going to have no reason to go to our website. Which then, is true. And all of our marketing or all of our, our, our revenue dollars are those big, ugly ads at the top and on the side that no one actually looks at. But that's how we make our money. And for us to have to make money on Instagram, we first have to prove out an audience before we can start monetizing it. But A, we don't even know where to start on how to monetize an Instagram account. And B, the only way for us to prove it out is to cannibalize the traffic going. In order for us to create like a baller, awesome account that everyone's going to follow, that's going to involve providing value outside of your blog. And media companies are scared to death. So this whole like journalism is dying because uh, people aren't willing to pay. No, it's just, it's the same how it always has been. You guys just suck at realizing that the medium is not 
the web page anymore like that it's the same amount of money is being distributed it's just going into different channels than sure. where you like companies want to pay for attention and they recognize that atten- even when you're reading a blog post, no one's paying attention to the side of the article versus being creative and okay, restaurants want to advertise with me. So what we're going to do is we're going to do like a sponsored post highlighting a restaurant. It's going to be informative and valuable. People want to watch it. Snapchat realized this. I feel like Snapchat was one of the first social networks to really blend that organic uh like valuable content and ads like ads don't have to be lame ads can be (laughs) interesting good content house of highlights which i referenced earlier uh i mean what they're doing is they still do like the pre-roll where it's you watch a highlight and then the end it's like gatorade for like five seconds or now they're like working with companies to like create like a little mini original series like every sunday night there'll be like cartoons about like making fun of athletes but it's brought to you by this company stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, that's my goal is to create this Instagram account and everything. It won't be like, there's like, if you type in probuzz.com, it's going to take you right to the Instagram account. And the goal is just to get as many followers and as many interactions as possible. And so I can have something that gets more attention than most of the media companies that have been in business for 30 plus years here in the area. Uh, if I have the attention, if people, I don't care that you broke the story first, bottom line is because I recapped it in a better way in a more interesting way on Instagram, people are paying attention to me, not you. And there's huge power in that. And it's almost embarrassing how these media companies, which have teams of marketers can't figure that out. And maybe they do figure it out and they just are bound by red tape from, yeah, I imagine from bigger corporations I, saying yeah. nope, it's all about the the pages. But yeah. even then, like papers are shutting down every day. Like someone needs to see the light. Like okay, we got to rethink. And and right now, the only way they're rethinking is they're coming out with subscriptions. Pay only a two dollars a month, and you get the Washington Post. That's not going to work because there's always going to be someone who's going to pay for that subscription to the Washington Post, get the news, recap it for free, and find a way to make money off that attention. There's always going to be that person. And I don't think subscriptions are the future of news. No. In fact, uh, it was the Salt Lake Tribune who just last month started advertising the uh, cost of their newspaper. You know ads I'm talking about? Uh, the price familiar. of freedom, seven ninety nine mm. a month. Yeah, no one wants to pay that. No. Because they know that it's just gonna, they're, they're going to get it somewhere else. For free. Yep. Uh, there's an interesting, I forget what the documentary is called on Netflix, where it basically it, it highlighted the New York Times and, and the struggle they have where they spend all these times and resources, time and resources, creating these groundbreaking stories, and then they publish it. And then within an hour, it's already been like re, what's the word? Not curated, but um, rewritten on dozens of websites. And then they're making money off all that traffic, yep. even though it was New York Times that put in the hard work. That's and why I, it's so important to do it first. Sure. But do it first, but then also don't just like figure out how are these people going to recap it? Are they, are they going to do it in different mediums? It is funny with the Daily Herald. I was mentioning this before the show. You look at you go to their account. They don't talk about news at all or any, like they don't do anything that's like the post itself like covers the story until yesterday. They finally did something about like the Seven Peaks water park here. Oh, yeah. And, that's and that right. was their first post where they actually like recapped like you didn't need to go to the story 
to get it. Like they actually gave it to you there. And oddly enough, it was like one of their highest engaged posts. Is that odd? Um, no, I shouldn't say odd because I should say makes funny sense. enough. That's right. So basically they're just taking, they're copying Provo buzz. Um, well, I don't think they're copying Provo buzz. I think they're being inspired by Provo buzz. Like what I'm doing isn't That's new, nice maybe in the local the front, thing. but I'm just seeing this trend on a national basis. Like, holy crap, you can create a media company worth money just on Instagram and then sell that off. There's huge potential in so many different niches. And even as a company, I've been looking at this. I haven't really discussed it internally with our team. It's just been on the back of my mind. Like even with dev mountain, we're, we're, we're talking about starting a separate website. That's kind of like our own media company. that will be like a podcast. It could branch off into YouTube videos and stuff like that. But maybe instead of like putting a ton of effort into blog posts, why not do all of our original content on Instagram? just like I'm planning on doing with Provo Buzz. And there there will be some posts where it'll be like super long form content. Instagram will allow for that. But uh, it just becomes a way where people can get news, they can get up to date on the topics that they care about in a super quick way without having to leave the app. And I most companies are scared of that. They want them to leave the app to go to their platform. Yeah. And you could say well, what happens in 5 years when Instagram changes its algorithm or it becomes outdated. As long as you are on top of the trends, just like when Vine died, the smart Viners saw YouTube and said, we need to jump ship and go here and bring the attention with us. So as long as you're sharp and you recognize that attention is the product, you can always move platforms and you just, that's your product. Like we just, we have the attention and that's what we sell to people. So that's my plan. So we can follow up on that in a couple of months and see if I'm a billionaire by then. Yeah, we'll follow up. And hopefully if you are, you will um, stay on the podcast. Yeah. But yeah, some inspiration for our listeners. So Use Instagram Provo, wisely. Provo Buzz, which is now basically just Instagram, is are you considering it a news source? Uh, yeah. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a variety mix. And I think that's what young people want. Yeah. Because and so many of them are like, this is a politics. This is the sports section. Just give us a mix of like sure. what's interesting. How 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 important is it to you that the stories you share on Provo Buzz are accurate? Uh, it's important, but I also write like within like I'm not gonna ever like there. I already have. I won't say in the air. I've already had people message me with some pretty interesting possible news about certain companies in the area. And I want so bad, I could easily publish and say, hey, rumor has it that this company uh, is going to be doing this sure. or rolling this out. And I'm not talking about <laughs> what you think I'm talking about. No, That's it's another fine. one. It's fine. But a very similar thing <laughs> with another local, two local companies. Um, and But I, I keep, it's like, hey, if you can send me at least some concrete information like or something that I can like attach to to kind of like remove the liability. So having me. source, having more than one source is important to you. Yeah. And even if it's one source, but they have something like I'll disclose, I'll never be like, this is going to happen. If I don't know for sure. And I've done this in the past. I was like, Hey, rumor has it. This people love rumors. Yeah. There's going to be some gossip, but we'll, I'll be very careful to clarify. This is possibly just gossip, but if anything, it opens up an interesting conversation. What would you think if this happened with these two companies? I still get attention. It gets people talking. It might piss off the two companies, but I'm also not saying 
anything like this will happen. Yeah. It's just like, hey, word on the street is this. Yeah, you're, you're in the NBA all the time. So and so might get traded to this team. It's unofficial, but that's the rumor around the league. And those people eat up those articles and they often get the best engagement. So, at the, again, at the end of the day, my product is attention. So, as long as I can do that in an ethical it's not, manner. It's not, it's not accuracy, it's attention. Attention always wins. Yep. Because sometimes accuracy doesn't pay the bills. That's right. Hey, do you remember last week when we talked about the searchenginestartup.com? Yep. Oh, yeah. What do you remember about that? I remember you got an automated phone call. They must be tapped into some domain registry saying, hey, we just saw that your site went up. Time for the next step. We got to get you listed on all the search engines yeah go ahead and use this promo code we'll give you a little deal We're running right now just head to whatever this website was put search in the code startup. and we're gonna we're gonna take in that that step two of getting you submitted have you done some follow-up work on i that? have yeah I'm, I'm pulling it up right now give me one sec i was just looking in the wrong here it is okay so that same day that thursday i think i think it was before i even left the studio I sent an email to search engine startup and I asked, Hey, uh, and, and for context here, remember I wanted to see what they were up to. Like I, I wanted to act the part of kind of the dumb website owner mm -hmm. to see if they would kind of give me information I anyway. So I responded back. I said, hi, I got a phone message saying that my website is really, uh, is ready for getting listed. I'm ready to get my site listed two exclamation points. Can you tell me what is included in the price? I have the promo code that was left on the voicemail. I'm just wondering what is included in the monthly price. Thanks. And they got back to me. How quick? Uh, let's see here. So I sent that on the 13th, which is, I guess that was five days ago. So it wasn't right after. Uh, so I sent that on the 13th and on the Uh, let's see, 14th. So one day later, they get back to me and they said, hello, thank you very much for your message. What you received was a sales call offering you our search engine submission services for your new website at a discounted amount. The promo code waves the normally charged $300 in setup fees. We offer two services. The first is national submission program where we register and submit your website every month to the top search engine companies and directories, including Google and Bing, so that your website is registered and current in their databases. The second is a local search service where we build businesses, or sorry, we build business profiles for your company and list them with the Google and Bing local listings and your business has map placement. We manage those profiles for you each month. All our services are cancel at any time. You also receive access to the members area of our website that includes very useful information on how to boost your visibility on the internet. Our prices vary from $29.90 to $297. Some of per our month? So I think the $29.90 is a month, and if you pay the $297, it's a one-time fee. Some of our services are monthly fees, and some are one-time. Oh, so I would have answered that if I had just read the next sentence. <laughs> All of the information on them can be found on our website here. And then it gives you step-by-step -step instructions on how to use your promo code. And then it says, please note, we are not affiliated with any other hosting, web design, and marketing companies. And any services you may have with them would be separate from ours. That's like their 
their last their last uh, note to be legally okay. Okay, so I responded back. My question was because it was on that first service they said they provide. They said we provide national submission program, a national submission program where we register and submit your website every month to the top search engine companies and directories. Does that sound weird to you at all? Do you submit your website to Google and Bing? Uh, do you register and submit your, your website uh, to the search engines every month? Submit, yes. Every month you submit oh, your no, website. Oh, not every month. But whenever if we ever do like a big change in our website, okay, how I'll often go is that? Search console and resubmit the sitemap. Yeah, resubmit the sitemap. What, what does that it. include? How long does that take you? Less than 30 seconds. Less than 30 seconds to take your URL and just go to their thing, copy and paste it, and and click submit. So that's submitting. You don't do that monthly. You do that whenever there's a change. How often is there a change? Maybe twice a year. Twice a year. That would justify, like, we better re-index the whole thing. And that's someone who knows what they're doing. Yep. Most of these sites, first of all, that's not required, just to be clear. Yeah, it's not. That's not. Google will eventually recrawl your website, and it's fine. It's just kind of... I think there's even question about whether or not that does anything. It's kind of like, well, we don't know. So we'll do it anyway. But, uh, so I sent him a question. I was like, uh, yeah, so I'm really excited about, I should actually just read it straight from straight from here. Okay. So, what I said next was, uh, thanks for your email. That seems pretty straightforward. I had some follow-up questions, if you don't mind. Besides Google and Bing, what other search engines do I get registered on? Also, you mentioned that you will register and submit my website each month. Does the website really need to be registered and submitted on a monthly basis? That seems tedious. Maybe that's why there's a monthly fee. I put that in parentheses. Thanks so much. I apologize if I seem high maintenance. So (laughs) I was trying to, I was trying to kind of play it off. You know, I use their language registered, like who registers their website on a search engine. That's not even a a real thing. Anyway, uh, I never heard back from them after that one. Mm. They probably caught on Jacob Perry. No, I used, uh, the name Joe. Joe classic fake name. (laughs) Classic, classic (laughs) fake name. Uh, yeah, I think I even had a last name. Maybe not. Oh, Joe heed. So they never got back to me after that. They probably caught on to my scheme, my scheme about their scheme. So I just searched, um, I just typed, I I started typing in register web and then it it filled in register website with Google. Number one and number two ranking websites and number three are all Google. Um, And it looks like it brings you to, the first one is get your content on Google, search console help. So it goes to the support page. Uh, the next one is the support page. Get your website on Google. Uh, it's like the same. Oh, get your website and then get your content. But yeah, basically the top three results take you right to Google Search Console. So I wonder if registration is really they know it's synonymous for, um, submission or even like registering, like creating your Search Console account. Oh yeah, with and that so you're registering an account. You're registering an account, not your website. Making sure they're aware. So that but, makes the, sense. But, the, but then you go to the first non-Google one and it's HubSpot and the title tag is how to submit your website to Google, which is how you typically would say it, how to, how to submit your, your website, mm-hmm. not register. I'm yeah. I, like my, my, what, what I'm, what I feel like they're doing is 
they're using language that maybe sounds like makes it more critical. Well, yeah, but well, yeah, that yeah, that's more of a critical. Uh, but you are criticism. technically registering your website with Google. I don't think that's you're, true. You're, re- you're creating an account, register an account. And okay, that's registering yourself to their to their platform. But then you're bringing up the website like, hey, I want to claim this domain, whatever.com. It's now registered with me under your account. Okay, so it's so tell stretch. me this. If you are if you're working with search engine startup and you pay them monthly, whatever, are they just getting access to your search console or are they submitting it some other way? I would assume they would just make the search console themselves themselves and then if you ever wanted access it's like oh yeah we'll add you they probably just have like an account with all of their clients and they just manage it all oh man it's such bull crap but here's the thing here's my question is what they're doing unethical yeah because it seems like it's a legitimate product it's well, kind of a it's really unnecessary but it's not like they're taking your money and giving you nothing like there is wisdom in getting your search console set up which most businesses don't do. That that's not the problem. The the problem is that their practice is uh, they're taking advantage of the fact that people don't know what they're doing, and and they're so wording it's the sales it in a way. Process. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like I'm not saying that they're taking people's money and doing nothing. I'm saying they are offering a service for X amount of money, right? Thirty dollars a month or two, three hundred dollars for one time thing. For something that literally could take you less than three minutes to do on your own, but you don't know that. Sure. That's how a lot of businesses are. Okay. So even that, even that, like, even that, I don't even think is the most unethical thing. I think the most unethical thing is that they're targeting people who just recently got a website and the word, the way they word their sales pitch makes it sound like it, you have to do it this way. Like you have to call me back and you have to pay me in order for your website to even be listed at all, right? Because most people don't know that if they do nothing, Google will eventually register, and I'll put air quotes around that, your website on its own for free. I would agree that their sales call that you received was a bit uh, deceiving. A bit. With the way that it did. But it totally was. So so one idea I had years and years ago. They wouldn't get business otherwise. If, if they did it the way they should, no one would do it. Probably. But, uh, well, so let me ask you this. Years ago, it was on, when I was at 97th floor, you know, you're always brainstorming ways like, how can I take this marketing knowledge and make some additional money on the side? One of them was Google Analytics. Most companies, especially small mom and pop shops, they might have a website, but that's it. They don't know what Google Analytics is. So I would have some sort of setup fee where it's, hey, I will actually get your site set up so you can get data on all the people that visit your website. And you can get all these interesting metrics and whatnot okay yeah set that up okay so you copy and paste the code into their header sure you do the simple work but to them it's not simple and you car mechanics are kind of the same way it's like i could do something that to me is like a preschool kid can do it but because you don't know how to do it and you probably don't want to take the time to learn how to do it i get to charge you money and you will pay me for it and so with that you know you pay some setup fee for google analytics and then what I would do, I would just ask them, what are the metrics that are most important to you? You want to know how many people go to your site? What else do you want? Do you want to know like age, gender, what devices? They tell me, oh, yeah, it'd be cool if I could do this. Then I just go build one quick custom dashboard, dashboard in there. And then I just export it once a month. And I say, yeah, 
50 bucks a month, I will make sure you get a nice report delivered to your inbox with all the important data that you want about your customers. And I'll, I'll do all that for you. They don't realize how easy it is, but they also will never without me or with anyone else take the time to learn how to set up analytics. It's kind of the same service where it's really, it's like they're paying you $50 a month when they can literally just log in and go to the dashboard themselves. Um, is that unethical? No. That has nothing to do with what I was of, saying. But it is kind of the same service. It's the same service. So I did bring that up. The way I go about selling it would be a totally different Well, Well, that, that's also true, but it's also different when, yeah, you're not presenting it like, if you don't do this, then you will never make money ever. So if I walked in there, I'm like, hey, I saw you guys got your website. Uh, I just want you guys to know that we need to get your your uh, your your analytics registered with Google. That's one thing you needed to start doing. Well, no, that's even still. <laughs> See, you, you can't even you can't even do it wrong because you're so honest. I'm so white hat. It's not <laughs> even funny. You're like, how do I do that? I can't even think about how to do this in the wrong way. How do I jip people? I don't know. You know what's interesting? And maybe I don't know if you're still wanting to go on this topic. This could go to our next one, GDPR. I've noticed if you type in GDPR, um, how many websites, like it's all ads and it's all these agencies basically preying on this, like you need to be compliant. So I guarantee you once May 25th happens, which is the deadline for these privacy changes that need to happen, I guarantee you, you're going to start getting hit by all these companies with these official sounding names. I already get it with the American Disability Act. I don't know if you ever get stuff like that. They'll basically, like technically, especially in Canada, certain colors shouldn't be going on. There's always like things where it needs to be accessible for people with certain types of vision and whatnot. And they'll email and, and they, they call their agency a kind of like an official sounding name or almost sounds like it's government, but it's still just a private business. Yeah, like the and Better say, Business like, hey, Bureau. We have uh, audited your website and you are in violation of the American Disability Act with these 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 things. Uh please hop on a call with us as soon as, you know, as soon as convenient so we can go on and go over these and you look into their website and they're like a UX design company. And that's just one of their services is they'll get you ADA compliant. You're going to see that thing, especially with this when like, I mean, you log into Facebook and it's just like plastered at the top. Uh, if you have an ad account with them where it's yeah. like your site needs to be compliant. So I guarantee you're going to start getting hit with, Hey, we found that your site is in violation. It's past May 25th. Uh, in order to avoid fees, you need to get these fixed. Please call us immediately to get these fixed, and we will be able to help you avoid this fine. Like you can kind of word it very totally. No, 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 I hear but you. you. Yeah, you can, there's a lot of money to be made for the uh, the black hat folks with this GDPR, and you're already seeing the white hat approach kind of with just typing in like, "What is GDPA?" Boom, boom, boom. GDPR. It's all, or yeah, there we go. GDPR. It's all ads companies realize like holy crap we can open up a whole new department just auditing people's websites and saying oh yeah you need to do this 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 here's the invoice for the uh, consultation yeah that's pretty messed up so gdpr do you know what that stands for oh my gosh gdpr the what's the first word dang it if i had the first word general General data protection rights. <laughs> Regulations. Regulations. General data protection regulation. Yes. So 
Okay, so the general data protection regulation, what, what do you know about it? So at first I thought this was a result of like the whole Zuckerberg's, you know, hearings Cambridge and stuff like Because it kind of happened right after that. Yeah. But as I read into it, it seemed like this actually was passed in like 2015 or 2016. And it's just now getting close to crunch time. So now they're talking about it. I'm sure that whole Congress thing and all the, you know, buzz around Facebook privacy issues has really pushed Facebook to like make sure that they're being a voice like you've got to do this like we're doing our part to make sure that people are protected but from what i understand this applies specifically to uh the european union is that what it's called yeah the eu uh so obviously if you have a business that's in like headquartered there uh you need to be gdpr compliant or if you have a branch that's there or which is the most common if you have any customers or if you're collecting data on anyone that lives there. So if you have an online, basically any online SaaS product or anything that's taking payments online, you're likely going to have someone in the EU who at least signs up for your mailing list. There are certain things now that where they need to consent for, for you to collect their information, even if it's a simple name and email address. Uh, and that's why uh, our inboxes have been flooded over the last several weeks of everybody and their dogs up, yeah. l- updating their privacy policy. So it's kind of interesting. I've, I've been following it a little bit. I haven't been super concerned. Um, I should be, but um, the, the fines, I believe, are uh, up to, I think, 4% of your annual gross revenue, or it was like 400000 whatever their currency is, whatever is higher. I don't yeah. know. It was a, I mean, a lot of money depending on how. There, there's still there's still are. a lot of confusion, right? Because it's still confusing. You have companies like like um, Google, Apple, whatever, where they're based in the United States. Uh, that I, I don't want to use them as an example. Th- think of because everyone who potentially could have a European citizen visit their website should be compliant, which means that's every website in the world, yeah. right? But the questions are: one, how are they going to enforce that? Okay, so follow, follow this logic here. You've got a website. Let's say Market Campus, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay, Market Campus. Someone in Spain finds Market Campus online. Okay, they live in the, the, the European Union, and you're not compliant, mm-hmm. which means you're not getting their consent to even cookie them. So this isn't even collecting their information. This is cookieing them, whereas in the past, you could just have a banner that says, hey, uh, we collect cookies, blah, blah, blah. And then they just hit accept, right? It's not even like a radio button. It's just like a notification that they can hit the X and mm-hmm. get rid of. Uh, you don't do any of that stuff. First of all, what is this citizen going to do? Is it the citizen's abil- or, uh, responsibility to report you to the, you know, the European U- Union um, uh, government or whatever? And, and then what? And then the European Union comes comes after you. How do you react? In what what legislative body is going to carry out this court hearing? Mm-hmm. Like how they can't enforce it. Well, especially when it's happening between essentially two countries. It's like, is this? Am I going through a through a U.S. court? Am I going through an EU court? But then I'm also not. I'm a citizen of the United States. Yeah, you're not. You're not accountable to them. They can't come after you. It'll be interesting. It seemed like from all the articles I've read, really the only time this could come back to bite you in the butt is if there's a breach of data, and then during the audit, uh, they see like, okay, you're screwed. So if you know Sony gets hacked, and then now Sony's being investigated. Oh wow, you guys weren't 
being compliant. I don't think it's going to be like one of those things where it's like, hey, we came across your website, we audited it, and uh, you're not doing this, so therefore you owe us money. It sounds like it's pretty much only going to happen in in a breach or, or a data breach situation, which is very unlikely, especially if you're not a giant tech company like yeah. Apple, Google. So, okay, whatnot. so tell me this. Say Google is non-compliant and the EU comes after them. But the Google Google also has offices in sure, Europe. Sure. So they can easily be um tried or go through EU courts. Okay, so so pick a different company like Vivint. Vivint is a big company, right? It's a billion dollar company. It's mm-hmm. worth, you know, 6 7 billion dollars. Big company. We have absolutely no clients. We don't even offer services in Europe. We don't have offices in Europe. There's nothing like that in Europe. But, but we collect data on... But we collect data on anyone who visits our website. And that could be anyone from Europe. Okay, so we do. We're, we're, we're not planning on changing our website. We're not changing our terms of use. We're not doing any of that stuff. We've consulted with our, our legal counsel on this. And they specifically said, we don't do business there. We don't have offices there. This is not something that we need to worry about. Which... You know, call that ignorance on the new regulations of, of GDPR or I, I don't know, but, but, but follow me here. We, we are not changing. So we're, we're going to be GDPR non-compliant. Yeah. So we're going to be collecting data and cookieing folks who in Europe are hitting our website. What can, what can, the, what can the EU do? Well, and you never really like, you, couldn't you com- just like plead ignorance? To the fact, like, we're only plugged in because we're, like, super plugged into this industry. There's a million business owners out there who have no clue that this is even happening. Yep. Your average, you know, mom-and-pop shop who are selling radio equipment, and they've got a website that's, sure. that collects emails. So I will say this. In the legal world, ignorance is never a defense. But they also never, like, this is laws passed in a different country. Yep. And they never consented. Like, I get U.S. laws. You consent to U.S. laws with your business license and whatnot. Um, but it's like, I never agreed to that. You can't just make up a law yeah. in your country, and now you're enforcing it on me. Like, I was never That's my notified. Point. That's my point. So, you, like, the Ma and Pa's, I think they're safe just because the EU, they're not going to waste their time. But part of this, uh, I imagine, is is uh, to make money, right? They like could be like they they will make money on 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 lawsuits against google where google has money to pay up to the but but so that's what i'm saying like the 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 ma and pa shops i don't think they have anything to worry about they don't they they do nothing it's it's no big deal it's companies like vivant who have you know billions of dollars or are worth billions of dollars and there are plenty of companies like that that are american or, or united states uh um they're headquartered in the united states and they have no association or business dealings in Europe that are going to be non-compliant. What are they going to do? What's the European Union going to do? They're going to come after Vivint. What's Vivint going to do? What is, what is Vivint going to do? I'll tell you. They're going to say, uh, no, th- okay, no, no hablo uh, español, right? Or, mm-hmm. or italiano or whatever. They're, like the companies aren't going to do anything. Yeah. At least that's my thought. I don't know. We're actually running out of time. It's, uh, yeah, I've, I've been interested in this, but I, at the end of the day, I haven't really done much. And even with Dev Mountain, it's like most of our customers are, but the, the other reason I'm not worried is because most of the software we use to collect information, they're all becoming compliant. So Hotjar, 
uh, Google Analytics and our you know MailChimp, whatever email software we're using, like even MailChimp now has added like, hey, we've updated our privacy policy. Uh, now when people opt in, they have to do this, have to consent. So it's almost like all of these subscriptions that you use, all these products, they're all becoming compliant for you because you're using their platform. So ultimately they need to be the ones. Yeah, but is that... Uh, uh, and that's where it falls. Like when someone signs up for my MailChimp email list and they're from the EU, MailChimp technically is the one hosting their data, not me. It's not on my servers. Facebook hosts stuff on their servers. Yeah, but Dev Mountain's still cookieing people. We are, but where's the cookie hosted? I don't know. Where is it hosted? It's on. The, they're only being cookied on their browser. Yeah, but you're collecting the data. You're the one who I'm have access to it. I'm not collecting it. You're collecting it. If devmountain.com didn't exist, that, that information But Facebook would be. is collecting it, and then Facebook is giving us access to that cookie. Facebook's saying, here's our code. Okay, so that, Put it on your website. We're collecting it, and then we're also going to give you access. That's your Facebook pixel. What about, what about the cookie directly on your website? So like, uh, if you want to retarget not on Facebook. It's like, Facebook. welcome back, Brandon. Yeah. You're saying something simple like that? Yeah. Well, we don't have anything like that that oh, I'm okay. aware of. Well, I don't know. Like Vivint, for example... We cookie our, our customers, so if they have a login, they, they log in to the portal, we know that they're a customer. We'll cookie them as a customer, so as they come back to our website, they have different messaging but than But isn't that than a cookie stored just in their browser? Like, I bet if you so were to Chrome? talk, I don't, maybe I don't understand cookies as well, but like, I, as far as if I'm concerned, If it was just their browser, we have access to the cookies, though. into a database. They are. So you can see, like, oh, these are all the people that are cookied, uh-huh. and you have personal information on them. How do you view that? So I th- uh, listen. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a data guy. I do know that there are ways of going into. Um, I should do more research before I start talking about this. <laughs> but I have seen our technical guys go into s- a place on their computer <laughs> that shows the path that someone took based on the cookies that we've placed on them. But. They're mapping that path all through third-party softwares. And then you're getting access to it. So it feels like it's your data, but in all reality, it's the data of other companies. I don't think that's a loophole that it's you hot, just found. Yeah. I just found a loophole, I don't people. think you just I'm found I'm going to sell loophole. a course on this, how to be GDPR compliant without doing a damn thing. <laughs> dot com. <laughs> dot com. And it's $9.99 a month. <laughs> is that $9.99 a month? Yes. And you, it's just one video that just goes over that, but you can keep watching it as long as you want, as long as you stay The question is, are, is that website going to be compliant? Uh, yes, because I'm not going to store any data. It's all going to be on third party. So you're not going to collect uh, any... You're, in, thinking, not, you're thinking of this too much. No, you are. <laughs> all right, we're out of time. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you listen to. Reach out. We're happy to to chat or engage with you, whether you want to nominate a guest on the show or come on yourself. uh, We welcome that. You can email us at inbound at belowthefold.io or hit us up on Twitter, belowthefold.io. And that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold. And remember, folks, here at Below the Fold, we love you. PC laptops. PC laptops. Yeah.